Hello and thanks for joining us again. My name is Matt Bushby, Head of Infrastructure Business Development at Clearbridge Investments. With me is Portfolio Manager Shane Hurst, who is a member of the specialist Clearbridge Infrastructure Team. Thanks for joining us, Shane. Thanks, Matt. Shane, the first quarter of 2021 has been quite volatile, with January and February weaker for infrastructure markets and then a big turnaround and a strong month in March. Can you give listeners an overview of the major macroeconomic or, or global events that drove markets during the last quarter? Sure, Matt. The global markets were very strong during the quarter. They were up just over 6%, really driven by a number of factors. Obviously, um, the uh, blue wave that came in uh, in the Senate early January was a positive, certainly for spending. And then you shortly saw a $1.9 trillion COVID-19 bill being pushed through both the House and Senate. Central banks continue to remain very dovish, even in the face of particularly strong global economic performance, really led by the US, as we saw increased vaccine rollouts and really the reopening of economies. Value markets and recovery stocks tended to do better than more defensive companies and and more defensive indices and markets. And as you mentioned, most of the underperformance uh, for infrastructure kind of came through that February period. Turning quickly to to bond yields and the possibility of inflation and how that affects infrastructure, assets and companies, you've written a paper and recorded a podcast recently, but for listeners who have not yet had the opportunity to investigate these, can you give us just a quick overview of the key points? Obviously, very, very topical um, global bond yields for the quarter were up in the US 0.9 to 1.7. Similarly, in Australia, they were up strongly and and all through Europe, bond yields rose. So that obviously begs the question, what happens to infrastructure with higher inflation? Clearly, with the large amount of stimulus put through uh, from Biden and expected stimulus put through in the US and around the world, we think there will be some type of cyclical inflation, but frankly, longer term. Um, our view is still structural inflation remains around 2%. What does that mean, mean for infrastructure and utilities? Well, frankly, not much. Inflation gets passed through in the case of utilities through their cost of capital. In the case of infrastructure assets, concessions, contracts, tariffs and tolls end up passing through inflation as well. So uh, really, it, it isn't a big issue. And, and when we look at the actual performance of and the correlation between infrastructure and utility assets listed versus inflation, there really isn't any correlation at all. And in fact, from a statistical sense, uh, it's insignificant. Moreover, if you look at the last 30 years, what we've observed is those periods of bond yields moving up strongly are really the best periods to position your portfolio. And and, and that's led to subsequent 6, 12 and 24 months, very good returns out of uh, infrastructure assets. Turning now specifically to the Cleabridge Global Infrastructure Value Strategy, after a strong 2020, where the strategy outperformed major infrastructure indices such as the S&P Global Infrastructure Index by almost 13%, the first quarter of 2021 was very subdued. A marginal positive return of about 76 basis points, underperforming the S&P Global Infrastructure Index by around 3.5%. January and March performed fairly strongly. Uh, February was weak. However, in absolute terms, what happened during the quarter? In terms of negative contributors, firstly, what we saw were contracted renewables perform uh, poorly after a particularly strong year last year, where we saw names like Brookfield Renewables up 120%, Clearway up 70%, and Allstead up 85%. They underperformed uh, in Q1 anywhere from negative 11% to negative 19%, purely on profit taking. And that really largely was isolated 
to that month of February. The other area of underperformance came from European airports and European rail, with concern about a slower than expected vaccine rollout hindering mobility in Europe. In terms of the positive contributors for the quarter, energy and gas infrastructure were very strong and really was led by Chenier. Chenier uh, has a, a very high free cash flow generation in terms of its core assets, was able to sign uh, some new contracts and also will benefit from the increased demand for hydrocarbons as global economies recover. The other area uh, that contributed very strongly was communication infrastructure, and that really was represented by Crown Castle and American Tower. Uh, As we see the 5G narrative really gain momentum, that will lead to accelerated capital spend by carriers on tower infrastructure over the next two to three years. And and that's really a positive for that sector. US rail performed very well, uh, you know, again, on um, the anticipation of, of the opening of economies and the fact that the US is so far ahead of the curve when it comes to vaccine rollouts. The other area of note really was US utilities, where we saw stock selection really count. So Exelon and PSEG, our two highest conviction positions in the value strategy, outperformed the sector in the US and really performed strongly during the period in what was probably a tough period generally for US utilities relative to the market. Shane, just talking about some of the specifics within uh, sectors, you mentioned the weakness on profit taking with the renewables sector. You know, that said, next year energy was actually a positive versus, say, Orsted or Brookfield Renewable Partners. What drove the difference? Yeah, really good question. I actually have to go back and have a look to see why. And, you know, really it was just a catch-up trade. So uh, last calendar year, Next Era Energy Partners and Next Era Inc. Uh, underperformed a lot of the contracted renewables. Uh, you saw that catch-up in Q1 this year when Clearway Energy was down roughly 10% and Next Era Energy Partners was up roughly 10%. Interestingly, if you look at the 15-month period ending Q1 of this year, you've seen all the contracted renewable companies in the US perform particularly well and really in a range of 45 to 50%. In the, in the electric sector in the US, you know, with the exception of, of Edison International, uh, most of our companies did perform well and better than the, the sector as a whole. Why, why do you think that was? Yeah, look, it is those idiosyncratic drivers and they are starting to become apparent to others in the market. So PSEG is obviously going to concentrate their core business more on their regulated utility as well as offshore wind selling their generation portfolio. And that's getting closer and closer to being realised. In the case of Exelon, very little value is given for their nuclear portfolio. And what we've seen is if you want to move towards an outcome of decarbonisation, medium to longer term, you will need nuclear plant. And so subsidies for nuclear plant are becoming more apparent in terms of uh, how they will be realised through both Illinois leg- legislation and federal legislation. And so that was another reason for the outperformance of Exelon during the period. So really, it is a stock picker's market. There is no doubt about it. And you know we are very happy that you know, our two highest conviction positions outperform the sector. Turning now to the European market, Iberdrola in Spain was a, an obvious outlier on the downside. What what drove that relative to other opportunities? You're going to be bored of the answer, but again, it was profit. It was profit taking. Um, If you look at Iberdrola late last year, or actually for the calendar year last year, uh, it was up 33%. So it performed extremely strongly. Q1 this year, there was frankly just profit taking in the name. Are we one of those profit takers? No, uh, because we still think there's particularly good value 
in the name, but certainly uh, when it comes to talking about our positioning, we will touch on contracted renewables where we have been taking profits. Turning to transport, uh, you mentioned the strength in, in freight rail, particularly our, our exposures are in the US, while passenger rail is mm. disappointed. Is that something you expect to continue? What you've seen is uh, US freight rail perform exceptionally well, and that's with the backdrop of a huge amount of US stimulus, the US being ahead in terms of vaccinations, and the recovery of the US economy likely to be ahead of places like Europe where we have passenger rail. So you have seen those companies perform very well. We think GetLink, which is our exposure to passenger rail in Europe, will likely recover towards the end of the year. Similarly, uh, our Japanese rail exposure should also perform well, as you see, uh, greater vaccinations uh, and greater mobility towards the back end of the year. When we talk about toll roads, you know, they've been our preferred transport exposure, you know, vis-a-vis airports and for obvious reasons. They perform generally well in Europe, but poorly in Australia, despite the differences in mobility restrictions. Why do you think that is? It's an interesting question. I think the first thing to remember is that in places like Australia, we really don't have a lot of COVID. And so the traffic recovered very, very quickly and actually recovered last year. And what that meant was companies like Transurban for the calendar year last year were only down 7%, much, much less than your European or even French uh, road names. And so what we've seen quarter one this year is, you know, a number of things in those names. When it comes to our French road names, so Vonsi and Affage, they've performed well, up 8% each. Firstly, on a recovery in their road construction business, as well as their road business in general, in anticipation of mobility increasing later in the year. You've also seen Atlantia, which is our Italian road exposure, uh, coming close to a resolution around the sale of their Italian road network. And that's really, you know, contributed to its almost 10% return for the quarter. So how did our portfolio positioning change during the quarter? Yeah, so we continue to increase um, our leverage into the global recovery by um, increasing our exposure to um, US rail uh, roads in Europe and energy infrastructure in Canada. Uh, this was funded by profit-taking in renewables such as Orsted, Brookfield, Renewables and Next Era Energy Partners. And outlook from here? There are a number of key thematics being driven through the portfolio. I think you know the first and most obvious one is our conviction in global recovery uh, as vaccinations progress and mobility improves. We have roughly 38% in road, rail and airport exposure, GDP exposure, which will be leveraged to increased mobility. We also have 9% in North American midstream, which will also, also be a beneficiary of a global recovery. Uh, U.S. utilities remain very attractive and sit at almost 25% in our portfolio. Uh, we mentioned earlier companies like Exelon and PSEG have some very clear catalysts to play out over the next quarter, and we are uh, very, very comfortable uh, holding those at very large uh, sizings in the portfolio. Decarbonisation really does permeate through our entire portfolio in various forms, but the most direct form uh, through our contracted renewables that currently sit at 8% of the portfolio. And finally, about 9% of the portfolio is leveraged to the 5G narrative, which is, you know, you know, essentially carriers in the, in the US, uh, increasingly spending, whether they be T-Mobile or AT&T on new equipment as 5G gets rolled out. And as a result of that, our communication towers are really benefiting from that greater spend. 
Thanks, Shane, for joining us today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you do have any questions about the Clearbridge infrastructure strategies, please contact your local salesperson.